Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today, we're learning breathing mindfulness meditation. This is part two of our four-part series that we're doing as we start up our new group learning program. On Sundays, we do a talk from this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. And then on Wednesdays, we focus on meditation either breathing mindfulness meditation or loving kindness meditation. And then in the future, we'll even implement chanting into our Wednesdays so that students can be learning how to do Buddhist chanting if they would like to do that. Last week on Wednesday, I started off this four part series going into a understanding of why we're actually doing breathing mindfulness meditation to help you to see why we're doing it and then how to do it. Breathing mindfulness meditation was the top priority for the Buddha. When he was teaching and his training that he was teaching, this was the number one meditation that he always looked to and pointed to as part of his guidance on this path to enlightenment because it's so crucial in order to train the mind to get to this enlightened mental state. If you remember back to right view in the Four Noble Truths, The cause of the discontent mind is craving, desire, attachment. The mind is craving permanence. It has this longing with a strong eagerness. It's chasing after the objects of its affection. And what we need to do as part of the Four Noble Truths is to eliminate this discontentedness, these pleasant feelings, painful feelings, these feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant that are based on some impermanent condition. We need to eliminate that craving, desire, attachment. The way the mind has this longing with a strong eagerness, we need to eliminate that quality, that aspect, that defilement, that pollution of the mind in order to train it to be in the present moment and no longer chase after the objects of its affection, but instead be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy in the present moment, not always chasing the objects of its affection. Well, the way that you do that partially is through breathing mindfulness meditation. There are some other aspects of training that I will expose you to as we progress in this program, but this is a primary aspect of that training. So while we're in meditation, what we're doing is we're arising this quality of mind called mindfulness. And we're gonna be talking about that this Sunday. For now, just think of mindfulness as awareness of mind. So we're arising this awareness of mind And that's very crucial on this path to enlightenment because this path to enlightenment is to purify the mind of these pollutions of mind, these defilements, these taints. But how could you eliminate any kind of unwholesome qualities in the mind 
if you weren't aware of them. So in breathing mindfulness meditation, one aspect of what we're doing is we're arising this awareness so that we can have awareness of mind of these unwholesome qualities. We'll also be able to then observe wholesome qualities as well, which is important as part of our path. But here in meditation, we're observing those unwholesome qualities of craving because what you're gonna notice as you attempt to focus on the breath during breathing mindfulness meditation is the unenlightened mind is not going to want to focus on the breath. It's going to want to be in the past. It's going to want to be in the future. It's going to have thoughts, ideas, perceptions. It's not going to be content and peaceful just residing on the breath. You may even experience some boredom during meditation when you first start or loneliness or anger or sadness. These different emotions will tend to come up as you're starting and initiating your breathing mindfulness meditation practice. So what we're doing in meditation is we're training the mind to have more awareness by focusing on the breath. We're focusing on the breath, being aware whenever the mind is not on the breath. So if the mind goes to the past, the future, has thoughts, ideas, or perceptions, we're cutting that off, letting it go, and bringing the mind back to the breath. In doing so, you're rising this mindfulness, this awareness of mind, but you're also diminishing and eliminating craving desire attachment. Because when the mind is longing for the past or longing for the future or longing for these thoughts, ideas, perceptions, all these things that come into the mind, this is the mind's craving desire attachment, the cause of discontentedness. So whether those thoughts are unwholesome or if they're wholesome, you don't try to evaluate the thoughts. You don't try to analyze them. You don't try to figure them out. You don't try to judge them. You don't try to label them. You just, with awareness of mind, with that mindfulness, whenever you become aware that the mind is not on the breath, you cut it off, let it go, and come back to the breath. Now, what you're doing there is you're training the mind to recognize sooner and sooner that it's not on the breath, i.e. it's not in the present moment, and you're training the mind to more easily let go, let go of this craving desire attachment that it has. And with those aspects of mind more and more developed in the mind, in daily life, now you have those qualities that in daily life, when sadness starts to come or anger starts to come, you'll have awareness of it. Because in meditation, you've trained the mind to have this awareness of mind. So in daily life, when you start feeling sadness or anger or some other discontentedness starting to arise, ah, the mind is aware of that. And now you can cut it off and let it go. And then you can bring the mind back to the present moment in daily life and completely subvert having sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, loneliness, boredom, shyness, resentment, jealousy, all of these discontent feelings that arise in daily life, more and more you can be aware of them when they're arising and you can more easily cut them off and let them go. Over time as you do this in meditation, but then also outside of meditation in daily life, the mind gets better and better trained that it eventually submits 
and these unwholesome thoughts won't arise anymore. These unwholesome feelings, these discontent feelings won't arise in the mind anymore because it's like jerking the mind back and jerking it back and jerking it back. I would never train a dog like this, but you will understand the analogy. If you had a dog that was on a leash and it was pulling and pulling and pulling you down the street, and over time you kept yanking it back and yanking it back and yanking it back and pulling it back, eventually the dog will get tired of pulling. Its muscles would get tired, its lungs, its heart, its neck would get tired of being yanked back, and eventually it will just walk by your side. Now, again, I don't suggest training a dog that way, but you'll understand the analogy that if your mind is longing for the past, it's longing for the future, it's longing for thoughts, ideas, perceptions, and you keep yanking it back and yanking it back and yanking it back in meditation, then in daily life, you're able to yank it back and yank it back and yank it back. And eventually, the mind gets displeased enough and submits enough and like, you know what, I'm just tired of constantly longing and you keep pulling me back. I'm just tired of that. I'm just going to sit right here in the present moment. And that's essentially what the mind does, is it just gets tired of all of this continuous longing, continuously yanking it back, continually you pulling it back to be in the present moment. Of course, that takes many months and even years, but you'll see in a matter of weeks that there'll be improvement. And the way that you know that there's improvement is that you'll notice this diminishing of discontentedness in your daily life. If you train in meditation the way that I teach and the way that the Buddha taught, and if you do what I'm talking about outside of meditation, where when you observe unwholesome qualities arising, you cut them off, let them go and bring the mind back, over a matter of just a few weeks, you're gonna notice that situations that once created anger or frustration or sadness or all these other discontent feelings, those situations no longer affect the mind in the same way where maybe a few weeks ago something would have made you extremely angry now with your meditation and doing what i'm sharing outside of meditation that you pull the mind back then too is then maybe you're just kind of frustrated you're not angry anymore you're just kind of frustrated and you keep this training going on and then you're just kind of annoyed with that same situation there's this diminishing of discontentedness. And then eventually that same situation can occur and the mind is just continually peaceful. Where a few weeks ago or a few months ago, you would have been enraged or so angry about that same situation. Now, just a few weeks or a few months later, you notice, wow, the mind is utterly peaceful. Where a few weeks or a few months ago, I would have been so angry at that. And that's how you know you're learning the truth and that this training is working for you. But you have to do the work in order to experience that. And when you do that enough over multiple months, you will see that more and more this discontentedness will diminish. So you doing the work is doing things like this, coming to class, learning from a teacher, asking questions, understanding about your meditation practice, seeing what things you need to improve and how to refine it. Also, part of your practice is investigating the teachings in this book and coming to these Sunday and Wednesday classes. Or if you can't come to the class, take the content in through the replay. And through you doing this work to actively learn 
you're going to be gaining the wisdom of this path to enlightenment and you're going to be implementing these solutions that the buddha taught not believing his teachings never believe his teachings instead you're learning through the books through the classes through the videos the podcast through personal guidance through asking questions and facebook and personal message and all these other ways that you can gain your understanding you learn you reflect and then you practice and then you see the truth for yourself that whoa this is working this is actually working and where you're noticing that you're not understanding or maybe something isn't working for you that's where you ask for clarification from the teacher because if what you learn isn't working that means there's something you're missing there's something that you haven't understood or there's some clarity that you need because i know everything that i'm sharing with you from the buddha 100 percent will work to eliminate this discontentedness from the mind it's just a matter of you applying enough energy and effort to investigate these teachings clarify them in your mind refine them in your own life practice and as you do without belief but as you implement them more and more you will see the truth for yourself that the condition of the mind is gradually improving so i would like to thank you all for choosing to join today's class or watch this video on the replay or listen to the podcast because as you learn and practice these teachings the condition of your mind and the condition of your life is just going to consistently improve and therefore by you causing less and less harm in the world the people around you they're going to experience less and less harm and this is where your personal professional relationships will blossom because you're not causing harm to anyone around you your personal and professional relationships people are going to feel more comfortable to be around you and you'll have more opportunities available to progress in this life and then as a collective society and as a community by more and more people learning and practicing these teachings all of humanity improves right so in the unenlightened mind we oftentimes go out and we try to change others and we try to get other people to do things in order to make the world a better place but that's because of the craving desire attachment the lack of wisdom that it's actually your own mind that you need to work on your goal isn't to go out and change other people because that's not possible you can't change someone else you only have the ability to change one person and by you changing your own life practice then the other people around you will start to shift because as you're causing less and less harm people will cause less and less harm themselves because they'll be influenced by your life practice so it's kind of like this log jam you start pulling out these different logs and now everything starts flowing in your life a bit better and that's how you gradually start cleaning up some of the unwholesome decisions that you've been making in the past so if you haven't been meditating in the past or you have been harsh and aggressive and speaking in ways that are unkind to people by you now gradually improving your practice to include meditation then that's where you improve your life practice and people around you start to function very differently while meditation is a primary aspect of our practice and that's something that every practitioner should be building up to to do two or three times a day for 30 minutes or more and you need to build up to that slowly and gradually most people don't start out meditating that number of frequency in that long of a time but if you can do it go for it 
But as you gradually build up, meditation is important. It's a primary aspect of your training. But you wouldn't be able to get to enlightenment by only meditation by itself. That's why there's this entire eightfold path that you train in meditation, but also in daily life, you need to be practicing all those teachings that we're sharing on Sunday. Right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood. And then this weekend on Sunday, I'm going to be teaching right effort, right mindfulness and right concentration. These are aspects of the path that you practice during meditation, but you also practice outside of meditation. Because if you were just to meditate and that's all you did was meditate, but then you went outside and you spoke harsh to people or you were unkind or disrespectful, you're still harming. So harm is going to still come to you. You can't clean up your practice, your life practice by just meditating alone, right? This is where some people feel like all they need to do is pray. And if they pray, everything in the world is going to be perfect. But that's not how any of this works. We actually need to train the mind in meditation. And then with those benefits, those qualities of mind that we've cultivated in meditation and those qualities of mind that we've eliminated during meditation, now we function in the world very differently with this new wisdom and these new abilities that we've cultivated in the mind. Essentially what we're doing through meditation and through our life practice in daily life is we're training the mind to come to the middle. When the mind's craving and longing and having these desires, it's not in the middle. It's chasing after the objects of its affection. But also when the mind's complacent and lackluster and dull, it's not in the middle either. It doesn't feel motivated. It doesn't have enthusiasm. So what we're actually doing through this entire life practice is we're bringing the mind to the middle where it can function optimally. The mind can be purified of all the defilements, of all the pollution of a mind. So now it can be perfectly tuned to the middle. This is just like an instrument. If you've ever played a musical instrument, if the strings too tight, i.e. craving, desire, attachment, the instrument doesn't play very well. It sounds not beautiful. The instrument's not playing in the way that it was intended to play because the string is too tight. But also if the string is too loose, it also doesn't sound right. It doesn't play the way it was intended to play. This is like the mind is being complacent or lackluster. The mind is too loose. It's only when the instrument is tuned perfectly in the middle that it plays beautiful music. And the mind is exactly the same thing. So you can think of meditation as tuning the instrument. That when you're meditating, you're tuning this instrument. You're tuning it to perform perfectly in the middle so it can play beautiful music. And then you're maintaining that throughout your day during your life practice of daily life of practicing the full path. It's only when this mind is in the middle that it's going to perform optimally and you're going to see that you'll be able to function through this wisdom of the Buddha. And this is how you move the mind gradually and gradually towards performing more optimally and you'll end up making better decisions in the world. So today we're going to continue with our meditation practice. We're going to continue tuning this instrument and making sure that we're arising this quality of mindfulness. We're also getting some concentration there too, developing singleness of mind. 
and we're then also eliminating this aspect of the mind that is craving desire attachment during meditation you're never going to eliminate all your thoughts you'll get to periods of time where the mind will be quieted where it will be still this is possible but it's impossible to completely eliminate thoughts that's not our goal in meditation what we're doing is we're arising mindfulness becoming more and more aware of the thoughts in the mind and what the mind's doing and then getting the mind trained to more easily let go of the thoughts and bring the mind back to the breath back to the middle this then becomes beneficial you know later outside of meditation in your daily life so without this ability to actually train the mind in meditation we wouldn't be able to perform optimally outside of meditation also in meditation we're cutting off all thoughts any thoughts that arise they're all getting cut off whether they're wholesome or unwholesome they're all getting cut off because the mind is craving desire attachment it's longing we're cutting those off and bringing them back but in daily life you only cut off the unwholesome thoughts when you're having wholesome thoughts in daily life those are beneficial for you that's how you're going to come up with ideas about what jobs what occupation what businesses to start this is where you're going to come up with ideas of how to spend time with your life partner with your family with your friends with your children this is where you're going to come up with ideas of how to perhaps guide your children or where you would like to live what things are important in your life those wholesome thoughts that you're having you're actually going to get more and more of those as you clear out the unwholesomeness in the mind so in daily life when wholesome thoughts arise go with it you can continue to process those and think about those and use those to benefit your life so it's only in meditation that we're cutting off all thoughts so that way in daily life when the unwholesome thoughts come up we're then able to cut those off and let them go more easily let me pause here and see if there's any questions about anything that i've talked about today in our little recap and then you perhaps may even have questions about the practice if you did meditation from last week until now you might have some things that you'd like to get some insight on or you might need to seek guidance on that so before we actually do meditation together let me see what questions you guys are having about where you are currently in your meditation then we'll do meditation together as a group a bit longer than we did last week and then towards the end we'll also open up again to questions there too Keep in mind the way to ask questions is just put your comment into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Our moderators will see that. Make sure your question gets asked during the class. Or if you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and they'll call on you so that you can ask your question or follow-up question directly. So let me turn things over to the moderators and to all of you and see what questions you guys have about your practice so far. Hi, David. I was wondering if you could expand on cutting off thoughts. Is this simply returning the mind to the breath, essentially? In meditation, yes. You're just observing in meditation, you know, as we focus on the breath, that breath is the present moment. So when you breathe, that's right now, right? So if you focus the mind on the breath, then you're focusing on the present moment. And you're cutting off the thoughts and bringing it back to the breath so that the mind can reside in the present moment because as you know having lived with your mind for all these years whether you're in meditation or you're outside of meditation the mind typically wants to be in the past or it wants to be in the future it doesn't want to be right now 
even right now, you might be thinking three hours from now or 10 hours from now and worried about something that may or may not even happen. And then that hinders our decision ability, our ability to make wise decisions. Or you're scared or fearful about something that happened in the past and you're worried or feeling guilty or shameful that that's happened or maybe sad or angry about that because the mind can't let go of something that happened in the past. So it's only when the mind can be trained to be perfectly in the middle, which is the present moment, that it can let go of the past, let go of the future, reside in the present moment, make wise decisions right now, and basing your decisions on right now, then you can make wise decisions that will create moments of improved results. Whereas if we're trying to make a decision now for something six months from now, how could we know if that's a wise decision or not? Because we don't have all the information. Between now and six months, there's a whole lot of impermanence that's gonna happen. So we would be wise to experience life for the next six months get to that point and then make a wise decision in that moment or if we're trying to make a decision now and we're holding on to all this anger or hatred sadness jealousy resentment from the past and we're trying to make a decision now and we base our decision on those feelings then our decisions are defiled they're tainted and our decision now being based on jealousy resentment and anger or whatever other discontent feelings are there then that's going to pollute the quality of our decision now. So it's only when we clear out all this pollution of the mind, base our decisions in the present moment, that we can then have a very wise decision that leads to wholesome results. And David, you mentioned carrying mindfulness into our daily life and cutting off thoughts, and especially negative thoughts in that way. And we may meditate and feel that we have a very tranquil mind, but then when we leave, our meditation session it can all come all the negative thoughts can come flowing back do you have any advice on actually carrying that mindfulness into daily life the more that you meditate the more you accumulate the benefits and you'll get longer and longer periods of time where you'll experience the mindfulness and the ability to cut off thoughts and the peacefulness in the mind so when you first start you may only get five ten minutes after meditation and then womb the unwholesome negative thoughts come rushing back in. But that's where you have to accumulate your benefits. The way that I think about this is you can think about meditation like scooping water into a bucket. And each time you meditate, you're scooping this water into the bucket. And that's where if you meditate for 10 minutes, maybe that's like taking 10 scoops. Or if you meditate for 30 minutes, it's like taking 30 scoops and you're accumulating this water. But then throughout your day, this water kind of evaporates a little bit. So that's why two to three times a day you would like to meditate so that you continually scoop this water into the bucket. And over time, you accumulate more and more water. Eventually, the bucket's overflowing. And now you can maintain your peacefulness for longer and longer periods of time. So if you're going an hour where the mind is completely peaceful and then boom, the unwholesome thoughts come rushing back in, you can almost think about that one hour as almost like temporary enlightenment, even though there's no such thing because enlightenment is permanent. But you can think of that one hour as like a temporary enlightenment, that the mind was utterly peaceful, content, and joyful for that one hour. 
and or maybe in this one relationship you might have one or two relationships in your life where you guys never argue everything's peaceful everything's wonderful because you don't have any attachments to that person and then you might have other relationships where it's utterly difficult and challenging for you to have this peaceful relationship and that's because there's attachment in that relationship so you might have either periods of time in your life where the mind's utterly peaceful or you might have kind of different relationships where the mind's utterly peaceful this is kind of like temporary enlightenment or situational enlightenment and what you're doing through accumulating the benefits in meditation is you're expanding that for wider and wider periods of time you're expanding it into more and more relationships where you don't have attachments in those relationships. Therefore, there's no discontentedness. As long as you're attached to your wife or your husband or your children, you're going to experience discontentedness because there's attachment there. As long as you're attached to your job, you're going to feel discontentedness related to your job. But when you train the mind to let go and no longer have this craving desire attachment for things to be a special way or a certain way you don't have these expectations and these wants then whether it's your job or your different relationships with different people you will see that this period of peacefulness and contentedness and joy will expand both in time and also in the various relationships that you have and this is where you constantly work at your practice and wherever you observe that discontentedness is arising you're aware ah there's craving desire attachment here in this mind and because of that that's why i keep experiencing this discontentedness over and over i need to work on this which is very different than what we do in the unenlightened state off this path when we're off this path and we experience discontentedness in a relationship we blame the other person they made me angry now i gotta fix them or something's wrong with them and we misappropriate this discontentedness as being caused by the other person but once you're on this path and you have that breakthrough to the four noble truths and you realize that whoa i've been causing all this discontentedness the whole time then you can actually solve the problem because you can go to the source of the problem or the root of the problem, which is your own mind. As long as we practice wrong view and we go around the world and we blame others for our discontentedness, we will never solve the problem because others aren't the problem. Sure, they might be discontent. Sure, they might be speaking impolite or disrespectful, but that's their practice. The problem is that our mind expects them to be polite expects them to be respectful the mind is craving desiring wanting them to be polite and respectful and once we train that and we eliminate that craving desire attachment now if someone's polite to us peaceful calm serene and content with joy disrespectful okay we can still be peaceful calm serene and content with joy just observing that it's this other person who's choosing to have lack of wisdom, lack of moral conduct, and lack of mental discipline. So by us observing in daily life that it's our own mind that's causing its discontentedness, then we can commit ourselves and dedicate ourselves with diligence to things like this, learning these teachings, practicing things like breathing mindfulness meditation, and that's where we experience the real results, and that's how you know you're learning the truth. 
that is more time that you spend focused on training your own mind, your mind in life just gets better and better. All these years where we went around trying to fix everybody else, things didn't get better. It just continued to have problems over and over and over again. It's not until you focus on the real problem, the real challenge, which is our own mind, and the Buddhist teachings raise that to your attention and help you see where the real problem is. And once you start focusing on that, that's where you start seeing this cascading, this accumulation of benefits where you get longer and longer periods of contentedness and peacefulness and joy. So as we're earlier in our practice, it seems that patience can be very beneficial as some of these rewards of meditations, it seems, come gradually and over time. Yes. If you have found that you've been impatient in other parts of your life or with certain people, an enlightened being is going to be very patient. Enlightenment doesn't happen in one month or even in one year. You can't just snap your fingers and attain enlightenment. There needs to be patience built into your practice. And where you notice that you're not patient with your own training, you're not patient with your own mind, you're not patient with the people around you, where you notice that you need to practice patience because impatience is essentially a craving desire attachment if you're sitting somewhere and you want something to happen you expect something to happen you're yearning you're longing for your kids to be a certain way and you become impatient or you're impatient with your life partner or your friends or your colleagues this is because there's craving desire attachment in the mind so once you start identifying that it's not that everyone has to hurry up and do things your way It's that you have to train your mind to understand that everything in the world happens gradually. It happens slowly. There's no instant results. And if we just keep pushing and pushing and pushing, putting pressure on ourselves and putting pressure on others to do things quickly and rapidly, everyone's just going to be utterly stressed out and burnt out at the end of the day. And there's some cultures that are like that. People get to the end of the day and they're just utterly burned out and completely exhausted. That's because they've been putting pressure on themselves or other people are putting pressure on you and you're conforming to that rather than realize that things need to happen gradually and slowly. And by doing things that way, by doing things gradually, by slowing the mind down, you can actually make wiser decisions. When you're impatient and you're pushing and pushing and pushing, putting pressure on you and the people around you, People are going to make reactive decisions that don't have wisdom as part of what they're basing their decisions off of. And when a decision is lacking wisdom, it's going to result in unwholesome results. So by slowing things down, by being patient, by thinking things through, you can inject wisdom into your life practice. You can inject wisdom into your decisions, and this is going to produce better results. And it's the Buddhist teachings that guide you and helping you understand that wisdom. But then you will need to come up with the wisdom of your career, wisdom of other things that you do. The Buddhist teachings are just how to purify the mind. He doesn't tell you how to be an engineer, how to be an accountant, or how to be a teacher. He's just helping you to purify the mind and get rid of those unwholesome qualities and arise wholesome qualities. And in doing so, you will then make wiser decisions in whatever you decide to do in your life. And patience is an important part of that, is that you have to be patient with yourself and the people around you because it's going to be a slow progression towards enlightenment. There's no such thing as 
hurry up and get to enlightenment, right? That's why it's called walking the path with the Buddha, not running the path, not dragging the feet on the path, but walking the path with the Buddha. We walk to enlightenment. That's a great reminder, given the pressures that we often feel today about doing things right now and expecting a quick fix and quick results. And it turns out the mind is just not necessarily geared in that way. Yeah, you know, what we're taught, and this is part of the delusion, this is part of the ignorance, what we're taught in some cultures is make quick decisions, and that's somehow beneficial and productive, and also make lots of decisions. So it's it's kind of quantity and rapidness is what people are looking for. But that doesn't produce wholesome results, or else the cultures that have that going on, they would be utterly peaceful. Those cultures that have that going on, while their economy is very strong because they're making lots of rapid decisions and they're making many decisions, the people that are in those cultures are very stressed out and having a very difficult go at it. But when you look at places like here in Thailand, decisions are made very slow and they're very consistent and very deliberate when they're making decisions. It's not about quantity and rapidness of decision. It's about the quality of decision. And it's more like wait, 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 collect information, be patient, collect more information, collect more information, wait, wait, be patient. Let's look at this. Okay, now let's make a decision. And then when you implement that decision and putting that out into the world, it has a much higher likelihood of being successful because you gathered all this wisdom and you thought about it and then you made a very wise decision rather than go, 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 decision, 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 hurry up, we gotta do this, we gotta do that, we gotta do this, we gotta do that. That doesn't lead to beneficial results and this is why people are very stressed out and very exhausted at the end of their day because it's go, 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 rather than wait, 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 collect information, let's understand Oh, now we understand. Now let's make a wise decision. Oh, look at that. It actually produced a lot more benefit. Now we don't have to clean it up. When we're go, 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 making lots of rapid decisions, we have to clean up a lot of mess in the world because our decisions don't lead to wholesome results. But when we collect information and we develop this wisdom and we make a deliberate, consistent decision based in wisdom, now we don't have to clean anything up and it produces very wholesome results. Thank you, David. That seems to be all the questions we have at this time. Okay, so let's go ahead and do meditation together. Now remember, I'm going to instruct you and guide you on putting the body into a certain comfortable position, not luxurious, not uptight or rigid, but comfortable. And then I'm going to be guiding you on your breath and your breath isn't necessarily going to sync up to the guidance. The guidance is just here to kind of remind you of when to breathe. And today I'm going to be doing chanting as we ease into meditation and as we ease out of meditation. And I'd like to help you understand that the chanting that I'm going to be sharing and that I do, I'm going to be teaching you this in about a month and a half of how to do it. But for now, just understand that chanting is not prayer. It's not worship. All it is, is it's a practice to help ease the mind into meditation and help to ease it out of meditation. I'm going to expand upon that definition in about a month or 
two, about a month and a half from now, I'm going to explain to you all about chanting and, and why we do it and, and what its purpose is and how to actually do it. But for now, just know that I'm doing this as a way to ease the mind into meditation, ease the mind out of meditation. And some of you who have already learned with me in the past, you can do chanting along with me. And those of you that haven't learned yet, I will teach you in about a month and a half. So you'll know the ins and outs of chanting and why we actually do it. But just understand that it has nothing to do with prayer or worship or anything like that. It's just to ease the mind in and out of meditation. So go ahead and take your position, whether that's seated or lying, standing. Place the lower body in a comfortable position. If you're in a chair, that might mean that your feet are flat on the floor or cross at the ankles. If you're on the floor, it might mean that you need to put some cushions under your rear in order to get the rear up higher in the air. This lessens the angle at the hips, the knees, and the ankles so you can feel more comfortable sitting on the floor. You don't want to have your legs real tight because if you have them cross real tight, that's going to inhibit the circulation and it's going to put the body into pain. And if the body is painful, then the mind is just going to experience pain, 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 pain. You're not going to be able to arise this mindfulness or awareness of mind. You're not going to be able to cultivate this concentration or singleness of mind. And you're not going to be able to eliminate this craving, desire, attachment because the mind is just going to be experiencing pain. So that's the boss. Remember, the mind is the boss. So if we put the boss in pain, he's not going to want to train or she's not going to want to train. So it's important that we keep the employee, the body, comfortable, not luxurious, but also not rigid, but we keep the body comfortable so we can go see this boss and train the mind. So placing the lower body in a position that's comfortable, then place the hands and arms in a comfortable position. The Buddha placed his right hand on top of his left with his thumbs together, and then he placed that in his lap. But if that's not comfortable for you, you can place the palms on your thighs, on your knees, if you're in a chair, on the armrest of a chair, whatever is comfortable. Because when you get into meditation position, the lower body and the hands and arms should be almost like they don't even exist. There shouldn't be any muscle that is active or engaged in the lower body or the hands and the arms. But in the upper body, the spine should be erect. We should have some engagement of muscles there. That helps to keep the mind attentive and alert during meditation. If we were slouched, for example, the mind's going to be very inactive, unattentive, unalert. So therefore, we're not going to be able to train the boss because we've slacked off and the boss has kind of gone to sleep. But also, if we're real rigid and we're uptight and the boss is feeling a lot of pressure because of this rigid body position, the boss isn't going to want to talk to us, isn't going to want to get trained either. So the upper body needs to be erect, but comfortable in the middle. That keeps the mind attentive and alert during meditation. Next, close the eyes and start establishing a nice, natural, consistent breath. Breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Your breath is going to be based on the body. You're just going to breathe in naturally. It's not going to necessarily sync up to the guidance I'm giving. This cue is just to remind you 
to breathe in through the nose and out through the nose. Wherever you get to that breath, you just breathe in naturally, experiencing the full breath and then gradually exhale, experiencing the full breath. By slowing the breath down to a nice, steady, natural breath, that's what slows the mind down. If the breath is really rapid, the mind's gonna be overactive. So by focusing on breathing in naturally with a nice, gradual breath, experiencing the full breath and then gradual exhale slowly through the nose when you focus the mind on the breath this is what slows the mind down bringing it into the present moment breathing in in out breathing in in out start fixating the mind on the breath the sound of the breath or the sensation of air moving into the nose. This is the present moment. Fixate the breath, fixate the mind on the breath. Breathing in. In, out. Breathing in, in, out. I'm going to do some chanting to ease us into meditation, and then I'll come back with some more guidance. Sang 
should be fixated on the breath, the sound of the breath, or sensation of air moving into the nose. Wherever you notice that the mind is not on the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath. Breathing in. And out. Breathing in and out. With mindfulness or awareness of mind, you're focusing on the breath, developing concentration. And wherever you observe that the mind is not on the breath, Don't try to label that. Don't try to figure out where it's coming from. Don't even try to understand if it's a wholesome or unwholesome thought. Just wherever you notice that the mind is not on the breath, cut it off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. 
Breathing in. In, out. I'm going to be quiet now and let you do this work. We would like to stay active, attentive, and alert during your meditation. Arising mindfulness and concentration, eliminating craving, desire, attachment, bringing the mind back to the breath, becoming aware of when the mind is not on the breath sooner and sooner and making it easier and easier to cut it off, let it go and come back to the breath. I'm not even interested in you holding on to the sound of this voice. Go internal, go inward, focus on the breath, do this work to cut it off, let it go more and more, coming back to the breath. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. This is your time to train the mind. Breathing in. In, out.
Start making your way out of meditation. Just kind of gradually come back. So as you meditate each session over the course of your week, you should notice benefits increasing. But there's going to be certain times where your mind's really busy, depending on what's going on in your life, even though you might have a week or two or three of more peaceful, more calm meditation. Don't be surprised if you end up having a really busy mind more so than in the past. This is the impermanent nature of your meditation. So just because your meditation is maybe peaceful today doesn't mean it's going to be peaceful tomorrow. If the mind expects it to be peaceful tomorrow, then it's going to become discontent. Or if it wants it to be peaceful tomorrow, it's going to be discontent. So you have to recognize not only the impermanent nature of all the things in the world, but also the impermanent nature of the unenlightened mind about how it can sometimes be peaceful, 
Sometimes it can be discontent. And this is just part of your training, is observing the impermanent nature of the mind. But as you accumulate these benefits more and more, if you're finding it challenging or difficult to actually initiate meditation, you might find it becomes easier and easier for you as you experience benefits. It's kind of like when you were a young child. When you were a young child, people had to constantly remind you to brush your teeth and take a shower constantly for many years. And then eventually you got to some point in time where you started realizing that, you know, you kind of enjoyed having a clean mouth and you didn't like that nasty taste in your mouth. And you kind of liked having a clean body. It kind of felt good to be clean. And you started seeing the benefits and brushing your teeth and taking a shower. And you started doing it by yourself. And you probably started doing it regularly, right? And you maybe even enjoy your, your shower, standing in the hot water, having it hit the body. You kind of enjoyed it because you started seeing the benefits in it. So meditation is the same way. Initially, the mind doesn't want to do it, right? It's, it's feeling bored or lonely or it wants to have all this fun going out in the world and doing all these things. It doesn't want to prioritize meditation. But the more time that you make in your life for meditation and you observe the benefits in it, it's just like cleaning the teeth and cleaning the body. You need to clean the mind every day, just like you clean the body and you clean the teeth and you clean the mouth. So if you've only been meditating since you started this program in the last week, or if you're finding it challenging to kind of get in a frequency or consistency of meditation, that's very normal. When you first start something new, the mind doesn't like that impermanence. It likes being complacent. It likes being lazy. It likes talking harsh to people in some cases. It likes having all this ego. It likes kind of dragging its feet around and kind of just being complacent and not really improving. The last thing the mind wants is to improve. It's kind of like this bad tenant. You need to kick out all of this unwholesomeness out of the mind because it's not benefiting you in any way whatsoever. But it keeps convincing you to stick around. When you think about meditation, you're like, no, 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 I'm not going to do meditation. I'm going to play on Facebook for a little bit longer, or I'm going to watch this program, or I'm going to go outside and do this or do that and do this. But if you start seeing the benefits in meditation, or you can just stay committed to it, you will see the benefits. So once you start observing those benefits and you get consistent with it, then it becomes enjoyable that you wouldn't even imagine going a day without meditating. But as you're ramping that up, it's common that you're going to miss a day here or there. Or you may decide to skip a day here or there because maybe your mind's really tired and you haven't really made space for meditation. So don't get down on yourself. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel shameful if you miss a day of meditation. That's part of the impermanence of it all as you ramp up your meditation. Your enlightenment isn't going to be determined whether you miss meditation today or not. It's going to be determined based on if you do miss meditation today, are you going to stick with it? Are you going to stick with it for the coming months and the coming years? So don't get down on yourself or feel guilty or shameful if you happen to miss meditation here or there. That's completely normal. And in fact, sometimes you just might decide to, to skip over meditation but then be sure that you stay consistent with it and you build up your practice more and more where you get to the point where you are meditating every day and you see the benefit in that and you actually find it enjoyable that because you meditate, your life goes so much smoother for you. 
that your relationships are more peaceful, your day goes so much more smooth. And when you're not meditating, you observe that your life doesn't go quite as well. And this is where you start observing that, hey, by carving out this 30 minutes in the morning, it makes the next 12 hours so much better. So that investment of 30 minutes is really wise. And by meditating in the evening for that 30 minutes or so, it helps you to sleep so much better. And you get such a better quality of sleep that you wake up much more rested. And you start seeing these benefits during your day and during your sleep, and you wouldn't even imagine not meditating. And that's where you build up your practice. But even so, there's going to be this impermanence in your meditation where sometimes it's going to be really peaceful, sometimes it's not. And when you notice that the mind is overactive or it's not peaceful during meditation, you haven't done anything wrong. You're not bad at meditation. You shouldn't give up because I can't do it. No, you're doing meditation. You're observing that the mind is busy and that's more than what you were doing before. Before you were just walking through the forest, knocking down trees and burning up the forest where now you're at least aware that the mind is busy and your mind's not going to be peaceful in just a week or two or a month or two. So you've got to get used to learning these teachings. You learn these teachings, you understand what is the ideal and then you try to do that for a while and you're not going to be able to do it perfectly. And you have to ramp up this practice gradually, but it's through consistency, through having dedication and determination and diligence that you will see the gradual improvement. If you're noticing the mind's busy, okay, so what? That's the unenlightened, untrained mind. Keep at it. If you're trying to practice right speech in daily life and you trip over your feet and you mess up, okay, apologize. Just make amends and then aim to do better next time and just consistently work to improve rather than beating yourself up or feeling guilty or shameful or degrading yourself for the fact that you're learning. There's nothing in your life that you've ever learned and you were an expert at it the moment you learned it. Every single thing that you've ever learned in your life, it's taken you time to build it up. Even learning how to read and write. It took you many years to learn how to read and write. It was a gradual process. And even today, there's probably still words that you don't know how to spell. And there's still words that you don't know the meaning to. You're still learning English, even at this point in your life. All these years, you're still learning this language of English. Or whether it's your career, you're still learning things in your career. You're maybe not an expert right now. There's more that, that there is to learn. And just like riding a bike, it took you many years to figure out how to ride it and how to do well with it. So meditation and practicing this Eightfold Path, it's the same way. It's going to take you many months and years to really perfect it. But the more that you work at it, the more that you tweak it, the more that you perfect it, you get clarification from your teacher. That's where your practice gets elevated more and more and more and you make more and more progress on the path. So when you're having those missteps, just see that as part of the learning process, that that's part of learning the wisdom that where you learned right speech, but you don't practice it and you see the conversation turns into an argument and your mind becomes discontent afterwards, that's confirmation for you. Yep, I wasn't practicing right speech. That's exactly why we ended up in an argument. That's exactly why I'm angry. That's exactly why he's angry or she's angry. 
I have craving desire attachment exactly like the Buddha taught. So even when you're learning these teachings and you can't actually practice them to perfection, that can be confirmation for you to show you that yes, the reason why you're having challenges in your relationships are because that you're not practicing these teachings. But then as you refine your practice more and more, you'll see things improve. So use it as motivation rather than to dissuade you. Use it as motivation because now at least you know the problems, at least you're aware of them, and you know the solutions. Before, when you were off this path and you didn't know the Buddha's wisdom, all you had was all these problems in your life and you didn't really know what to do. And maybe you went around trying to fix everybody else. Where now, once you learn the wisdom of the Buddha, you'll see more and more and more problems that are going on in your life, in the life of the people around you. But the difference is now you know the solutions. And that's where you become really empowered. Even though you're not perfect at implementing those solutions, even though you're not practicing perfectly with those solutions, you at least know what they are. And you can get help with that with your teacher and asking questions. So that's the difference now, is that before you just had a lot of problems that you were experiencing. Well, now you're gonna see those problems more and more clearly, and you're gonna see that they're coming from your own decisions. But the difference is that now you've got the solutions. And one of those solutions is practicing breathing mindfulness meditation on a ongoing, consistent basis. And that's the escape out of all of these challenges because while we call them problems, they're really not problems. They're really challenges that we face. But now you know the escape. Now you know the solution. And it's this Eightfold Path. And the more that you get skilled in it, inversed in it, you'll be able to implement it more and more and improve the condition of the mind, the condition of your life, and experience more and more peacefulness and joy in daily life. So let me turn things over to you guys, see if there's any questions that you have related to your meditations and getting clarification to help you improve your practice and tweak it more and more and more, or even just confirm that you're understanding things properly. So if you'd like to ask a question, just put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. The moderators will see that or raise your hand and they'll call on you to be sure you get your question asked during the class. Hello, teacher. I have a question on Zoom from Rick. It says, some teachers suggest one or two, 45 to 60 minutes of meditation a day. You recommend at least three half-hour sessions throughout the day. What is the benefit of meditating at a greater frequency? Sure. So the Buddha, when he meditated, he meditated three times a day. He talks about it in his teachings. He meditated morning, midday, and evening. And that's what he discusses. He doesn't say how long to meditate for because 2,500 years ago, there weren't any watches to keep track of how long you're meditating for. But from my observation and practice, three times a day is absolutely ideal and that's what produces the best results. But household practitioners can also sometimes just do two sessions, but two to three is ideal, 30 minutes or, or greater. The reason why is because in this level of frequency, there's not a whole lot that can go wrong in your day. If you're meditating in the morning when you wake up and then you meditate midday, there's only about four to six hours there and you're kind of resyncing the mind. And then from midday to evening, there's not a whole lot of time there. It's only, again, another kind of six hours or so. So by kind of topping up the mind and scooping this water into the bucket, you increase 
the benefits because you're doing more frequency and you're doing it over the course of your day to maintain a full bucket throughout your day. You can meditate upwards of an hour if you like. There's very few sessions that I've ever done upwards of an hour. Most people don't have that amount of time in their life. And what you'll notice is frequency is actually more important than the amount of time. If you can do two sessions for 30 minutes, this is actually more beneficial than one that's 60 minutes because the frequency, because what you'll do is you'll be scooping water, filling up your bucket throughout your day that will evaporate and then you fill up your water some more with scoops. So I suggest two to three per day for 30 minutes or more. Not only does have I noticed in my own practice that 30 minutes or more is beneficial, but there's scientists who are starting to research enlightenment and the changes in the brain and the function of the brain. The brain and the mind aren't the same thing. The brain is the tangible organ in the body that controls the function of the body. The mind is this intangible, it's non-physical, but there's some connection between the mind and the brain. So scientists are starting to research people who have been meditating for 20, 30 years, and they're observing the qualities of the brain and the structures and the changes in the brain. And I can tell you about their research. It's called neuroplasticity. This is about how the brain actually changes and it changes its condition throughout your life. And what the scientists show as well is that when people get up to 25 minutes and beyond, this is where they're noticing the most changes to the structures of the brain. And what they notice through their MRI scans, their CAT scans, and all the other research that they're doing is that typically for an average person who doesn't meditate, they will need to take these scans and then the computer kind of churns away for three to five days and it kind of spits out a diagnosis and helps them to see what are the challenges in the structures of the brain. And they need the computer to do all that work to see the challenges and the, the problems in the brain in order to get to a diagnosis. They say that with people who meditate for 25 minutes or longer, they can actually see while the patient is in the MRI or in the CAT scan, they actually see on the computer with the naked eye the structures of the brain, and they can tell that the brain is in one particular condition or another, which to them was revolutionary because they've never been able to see with the naked eye certain aspects of the brain that they can through people who have been meditating for long periods of time. So the Buddha meditated three times a day. That's what he recommended. That's what he did. I noticed that there were times in my life where I used to only meditate once a day, and then when I learned that the Buddha meditated three times a day, I ramped my practice up to that for an extended period of time. And I noticed the benefits to the condition of the mind. And then I kind of settled on about a two or three times per day. But there are some days where I've actually meditated five or six times a day, depending on what I'm doing, like teaching classes and things like that. Or if I felt any kind of tension in the mind, I used to increase even beyond three times. And what I observed is frequency is very important and having your meditation about 30 minutes or more per session. And I don't recommend necessarily an hour. You can meditate an hour. There's nothing wrong with that. 
but I don't tend to recommend it for people because the average household practitioner doesn't have time to meditate two or three times a day for an hour. So 30 minutes is realistic. It's possible. It's something that can be integrated into their life. And doing that two or three times a day, you're going to find more benefit than doing once for an hour. Or if somebody did three times a day for an hour, great, that's outstanding. But the average person doesn't have that amount of time. So that's why I don't recommend it. But I don't say that you shouldn't do that. I just don't use it as a standard recommendation. The standard recommendation that I use is two to three for 30 minutes or more. And if you stay consistent with that, you will see the progress and you can attain enlightenment through two to three times a day, 30 minutes or more. You wouldn't need to do anything beyond that necessarily. But also, if you did anything less than that, you're not going to improve the condition of the mind enough to attain enlightenment. So if someone was only doing meditation once a day for 10 minutes, they won't get to enlightenment in this life. It's not possible. Or if they were doing even twice a day for 10 minutes or 15 minutes, you wouldn't be able to get to enlightenment based on that. That might be where you start. That might be the beginning point. But you need to gradually ramp up where you're at two or three times a day for 30 minutes or longer. And if you can do that for a consistent ongoing period of time, that's where you'll see the most benefits. It's kind of like a fruit tree. If you stand at the tree and you shake the tree long enough, the fruit's going to eventually fall. Whereas if you just shake the tree a couple of times and walk away, you're not going to get the fruit to fall out of the tree. So if you're looking for this benefit, you have to shake the tree for two to three times a day for 30 minutes or more. Well, uh, just interested to ask about the peaceful sleep that one can have after uh, practicing meditation at night. Is it a result of peaceful mind or a result of peaceful brain? Everything that we're doing is to train the mind. We're not training the brain, but there is a connection between the mind and the brain. So when you're doing meditation and you're clearing out this pollution of mind, that's going to help you in your sleep. But also, when you're practicing the entire Eightfold Path, this is what helps you in your sleep too. Because if you're going around using wrong speech, or you're going around practicing wrong action, the mind is going to be conflicted. You're speaking harsh, you're speaking aggressive, you're angry to people, you're having harmful bodily actions, maybe you're getting in physical altercations, maybe you're doing harmful things like having sexual misconduct or stealing or taking substances that cause heedlessness. All of the things that are polluting your life practice, not just in the mind, but our moral conduct as well, that weighs on us when we go to sleep. If you're practicing wisdom, moral conduct, and mental discipline all throughout your life, and you know in daily life you're not causing harm to anybody, you're going to sleep a lot better at night. You're not going to lay in bed worrying about having had sexual misconduct and is your partner going to find out. You're not going to lay in bed at night worrying about having stolen and that are you going to get in trouble. You're not going to be laying in bed at night worrying about the lies that you told and then making it difficult for you to fall asleep. You're not going to be ingesting substances that cause heedlessness, making it difficult for you to fall asleep. So we can go through all the Buddhist teachings, including right view. If you're going around blaming other people for causing your anger, 
this is going to come back to you. That's practicing wrong view. You're going to have a very difficult time sleeping when your wisdom, moral conduct, and mental discipline isn't purified and isn't performing optimally. So it's meditation, yes, that is important to train the mind, but it's also all the work that we do outside of meditation that allows us to sleep easy at night. Because when you're not harming other beings, you can be at ease. But when you go around harming people or harming animals or other beings, the mind will be conflicted and it will have a hard time sleeping. So yes, meditation is utterly important and it's a key component to helping us sleep. But it's also all the other work that we do during our daily life that puts the mind at ease and allows us to sleep easy. If you remember going back to when you were a child, probably when you were four, five, six, eight, ten years old, 12 years old, you probably slept really easy. When we were children, we can kind of snap our fingers and fall asleep in a heartbeat. It's really easy because as a child, our mind isn't very polluted. There hasn't been much conditioning that's happened yet because the mind is still very young and we can fall asleep at the drop of a hat. We can be driving down the road in a car. Our parents can be driving and we doze off. We can sleep anywhere at any time. The mind as a child is in the present moment. A child's thinking, I would like to play toys right now, or I'm hungry right now, or I need to go to school right now. A child isn't sitting in school in grade two or three and thinking about six months from now. They're not thinking six months from now. And they're also not thinking about six months ago in the past. It's only as adults that our mind gets conditioned or polluted more and more and more or defiled. The mind gets so defiled that we find it utterly difficult to start sleeping sometimes. And this is because the mind's been conditioned so much, we're causing harm in the world and our mind isn't in the present moment any longer. So part of what you're doing as part of this path is you're training the mind to come back to that child's mind where the mind is in the present moment. It's not worrying about the past. It's not worrying about the future. You're not stressed out about all the bills or decisions that you've been making, but instead you can be very content and the mind can be at ease knowing that you're making wise decisions all the time. And this is what's going to help you sleep better at night. But even though you're coming back to a child's mind, as an adult, you're going to have this wisdom of how to make very wise decisions, but you're training the mind to be able to fall asleep at the snap of a finger. And this is very beneficial for your life when your mind can be so at ease that it can fall asleep so easily. Yeah, thanks, Lord Teacher. Let's go now to Miranda. Hi, David. Um, would it be beneficial for one's practice when they notice that there is activity in the mind to do one of the meditations where there is intentional thought, like loving kindness meditation or non self view meditation? It's important to understand each meditation, what you're cultivating and what you're eliminating so that you can then accomplish those goals during that specific session. And here with breathing mindfulness meditation, you're not trying to think about anything at all, even though there will be thoughts. There always will be thoughts. Even when you're enlightened, you're still going to have thoughts in the mind. But what you're doing is you're developing this mindfulness or this awareness of mind 
that more readily you're aware when the mind is off the breath, i.e. off the present moment, and you're getting better and better at letting go and releasing any thoughts that are coming to the mind. So in breathing mindfulness meditation, there is no attempt to initiate any thoughts. But loving kindness meditation and non-self, the sexual craving meditation that I teach, those types of meditations, you are trying to elicit thoughts. And you're trying to develop the mind based on other criteria that are other parts of the path. And in those meditations, they're different than this one. With breathing mindfulness meditation, when someone's first starting, if you're having challenges focusing on the breath, you can bring in some affirmations every once in a while to kind of help you. But you need to understand that the goal is to eradicate that from the mind. So if you look at the way that the Buddha taught meditation and the way that he provided guidance, he did this guidance on the way into meditation as well. And then people were quiet and completely silent the way that we do meditation. That guidance that the Buddha does as part of his guidance into meditation, you can use some of that to help you rather than me guiding you in meditation on your own. You can be looking at that guidance from the Buddha where he talks about calming the mind, observing impermanence, things like this. You'll see it in volume seven of the book series, The Words of the Buddha. It's now available, both downloadable and print copy as well. You'll see that particular book deals with breathing mindfulness meditation, and it's a consolidation of teachings from the Buddha on breathing mindfulness meditation. And you'll see the affirmations that he used to use or his guidance that he used to use to guide people into meditation. But you would like to, in your breathing mindfulness meditation, have this extended period of time where there's just complete silence. You're not trying to create any activity in the mind, but instead you're just stilling the mind and quieting the mind, doing the work to build mindfulness, awareness of mind that it's off the breath, and doing the work to cut off any thoughts, let them go and come back to the breath. So be sure that you have a period of time where there's just stillness and you're not actually doing anything during breathing mindfulness meditation other than observing the breath and cutting off and letting go. Okay. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. I had a question, David. As we begin our meditation practice, we may imagine that success in meditation is having this like complete stillness. But if we find that our mind is moving off of the breath and we recognize that, is that a sign that we're cultivating mindfulness and that we are in fact having success in that way? Exactly. The problem isn't that the mind is moving off the breath. I mean, that is a challenge. And if your mind's moving off the breath, it takes you five or 10 minutes before you realize it. Okay, that means your mindfulness is quite minimal because it's taking you five or 10 minutes, but that's okay because that's where people start and that's how you get started on this. So if it takes you five or 10 minutes to realize, oh my goodness, I was so absorbed in thought that I didn't even realize that the mind's not on the breath. Okay, after 10 minutes, you cut it off and let it go and you come back to the breath. So the fact that you observe the mind wasn't on the breath, that's a very good thing. That's like what you're going for. And what you would like to do is shrink that time down more and more where you're catching it sooner and sooner. Maybe eight minutes, six minutes, four minutes, two minutes, 
30 seconds, five seconds, one second, as soon as the mind's off the breath, cut it off and let it go and come back. So like even today when we were meditating, I had thoughts, but within a second or two, boom, I cut them off, let them go, come back, come back, come back. And then there were these long periods of time where the mind had no activity whatsoever. But then as soon as the mind went off the breath, I caught it and brought it right back. So as you train in this path, even when the mind's enlightened, you're still going to have thoughts. Even the thought of, oh my goodness, the mind is so peaceful. This is so amazing. The Buddhist teachings lead exactly where he said they do. That's actually a thought. So even when the mind's completely still and completely peaceful and you notice it for five minutes, 10 minutes, and you're like, oh my goodness, look how peaceful this mind is. Oh, that's a thought. Let me cut that off. Come back to the breath. So you're going to have these thoughts. That's not the actual problem. As long as you're alive, you're always going to have thoughts. What you're doing, though, is you're trying to observe those thoughts quicker and quicker so that the mind doesn't chase and wander and roam for as long of a period. And then once you're aware that the mind is off the breath, you become more and more proficient as cutting it off and letting it go so you can easily let go of these thoughts and bring the mind back to the breath. And that's where it becomes really beneficial. You're driving down the road, somebody cuts you off, you feel this anger starting to arise, but because you have mindfulness and you're aware that the anger is arising, now you cut it off and let it go and you're just like, okay, go ahead, buddy. You can have the lane, it's yours. It wasn't mine to begin with. It wasn't my lane, right? When when mind starts attaching to it and wanting it, it's my lane. How dare you get in my lane, right? That's where the mind has that craving, desire, attachment, and now it's going to get angry. But if you can have awareness that the anger or frustration starting to arise, someone came too close to you and cut you off, then you can cut off and let go of the anger and just be like, all right, go ahead. I'm safe. I'm driving. Go ahead, go for it. And then other situations, not just driving in traffic, but you're in a business meeting, somebody's talking, you don't like their idea. Maybe you think that their idea is is ridiculous, but rather than think that way and negative, think of the positive, like, okay, this person is sharing an idea, they're trying to contribute. I disagree with their idea, but it doesn't mean they're a bad person. So if you feel this disgruntledness or this resentment or this disagreement with someone else's opinion, rather than being resentful and then allowing that to pollute the mind and then come out in the way that you interact with people through your speech and your actions, when you realize the resentment or even jealousy is coming up in a business meeting, for example, you're aware of that with mindfulness and then you cut it off and let it go. So even though you disagree with this person's opinion, now by eliminating that resentment in the mind, you can now politely, kindly, friendly, and respectfully share your idea and then see if others agree with that. Because what the unenlightened mind wants to do is it thinks that everyone should agree with you because it's craving permanence. It wants permanence. So when you hear somebody's opinion and you disagree with it, the mind tends to become angry or frustrated because it's craving permanence, right? Or if you offer an idea, you expect people that they will agree with you. And when they don't, then the mind becomes sad, right? So you have to 
recognize this impermanence, not just impermanence in material objects, in possessions, but impermanence in the fact that every idea you have, people aren't going to agree with it. And every opinion and idea that you hear from your colleagues and from your family, you're not going to agree with their opinion. So the goal isn't that everybody agree with everybody and everybody thinks exactly the same way, because that's impossible. There's going to be different ideas in the world. In training your mind to recognize that you're not going to agree with everyone's opinion and that everyone's going to agree with your opinion. And that's okay. And that's what makes our world very interesting is that we do have different opinions. If everybody thought exactly the same way, boy, would that be a boring world to live in, wouldn't it? Like it wouldn't be full of life. So the problem isn't that someone's disagreeing with you. The problem is that your mind wants them to agree with you. So sometimes when people talk about social issues or politics or something like this, people can get so inflamed and they're trying so hard to convince somebody to agree with their opinion that they just get so angry and so enraged where an enlightened mind can have a discussion and realize that disagreement is part of it. Difference of opinion is part of it. That's like the impermanent nature of the world that when you're in a conversation, other people are going to disagree with you. And that's always going to be the case. So we shouldn't be shocked when somebody disagrees with us. We should just listen and understand. We might actually learn something when somebody disagrees with us. That's how we learn something is that someone has a different opinion than us. And if we're not holding on to our opinion so much, then we're open to listening to other people's opinion. And that's where we actually learn things in the world is that people have different experiences. But if we hold on to our own thoughts, our own ideas, our own opinions with arrogance and ego and pride, because we're holding on to these things so tightly, then the mind isn't open to learning something new. So what this practice of breathing mindfulness meditation and all the other teachings of the Buddha teaches us is to let go. And now we can have an open mind and we can engage in the world without holding on to things. We might have certain ideas that we come to a group meeting and we would like to contribute these ideas. But if we're not holding on to them so tightly and we don't have arrogance and ego that everyone's got to agree with our idea, then what the meeting becomes is let's just find the best solution. That's what it really boils down to. It's not whether you use my idea or your idea. It's about what's the best solution. And then if it's 100% my idea, great. If it's 20% my idea and 80% of Rebecca's idea, wonderful. Or if it's 0% of my idea and a combination of other people's ideas, great. At the end of the meeting, the goal is to have the best decision that we all come to. But if everybody's holding on to their opinions and their ideas very tightly with arrogance or ego or pride, then it's going to make it very difficult in a work environment or even in a family environment for all of us to find our way in this world because everybody's got their feet dug in and holding on to their opinion. And this is where heated arguments, contested arguments come about and people really wreck relationships this way rather than arguing and trying to force people to agree with you just recognize that people are always going to disagree with you and now you just have a 
cohesive discussion to learn from each other's opinion and we all walk away with having learned something. Thank you for that clarification, David, because it seems like there is often a misunderstanding that when we begin meditating, we should have a still mind. And if we don't have that, then we're not doing it right. Whereas, as you point out, it's the ability to cut off thoughts and feelings that we're training in meditation. And as you mentioned, there are so many ways that can improve our lives and outside of meditation as well. Right, I use this analogy with like an athlete or a sports star, right? Like, so the, if there's an athlete who's training to run the 100 yard dash, when they're training, they're gonna be doing lifting weights with legs, they're going to do stamina, training their lungs and their, their heart, they're gonna be doing all kinds of agility training and other, all these different things to train. But when they run their competition, they're just running the 100 yard dash, that's all they're doing but they have all these various training tools that they're using to make them better at performing the 100-yard dash. When they're doing the 100-yard dash, they're not pumping iron with their legs, they're just running, right? So it's the same thing. The Buddhist teachings on this path, there's all these different tools, and breathing mindfulness meditation is one of those tools. And you're going to have situations in breathing mindfulness meditation where you have thoughts that come up in the mind. This particular tool, of breathing mindfulness meditation is a rising mindfulness, it's a rising concentration and training the mind to cultivate those qualities, bringing the mind into the present moment, practicing singleness of mind. And we're practicing getting rid of this craving desire attachment. And then when you understand the path, the entire Eightfold Path, that mindfulness and concentration are the seventh and eighth step and what those are and why they're important and how they get applied in daily life, then you understand why we're training that in meditation. And then when you understand right view and that craving desire attachment is the cause of all discontentedness and we've got to get rid of that, then you understand in meditation why it is that we're doing what we're doing. So that then in daily life, you have cultivated and you're using the benefits, the fruit of mindfulness the fruit or the benefits of concentration to perform better in your day-to-day -day life. And without this craving desire attachment, the mind's gonna be performing better. But it's the breathing mindfulness meditation that is the training, the active training that we do on an ongoing basis to then use the benefits of that in daily life. And next month, we're gonna be adding in loving kindness meditation. That has a completely different approach to what we're doing and the reasons why we're doing that and how would we actually do it. But it's still part of this eightfold path that we're cultivating in the mind, this loving kindness. So when we get to that, I'll explain how to, we're doing that meditation and why we're doing it. It's so important to understand the why. And when you understand that, then you understand what you're cultivating and what you're eliminating. And then those benefits help you in daily life throughout all parts of your life. And this is where you can make wiser and wiser decisions about things that you're doing. I had a final question related to what we studied on Sunday. We studied right action and right speech, for instance, and I was wondering if you could explain how meditation can facilitate our right action and speech, and also how perhaps right action and speech can help our meditation. Sure, good question. So. 
as you guys saw with right speech and right action, particularly right speech, there's a lot of details there. And, and it's general guidance that when you learn it, and when we get into chapter five, you're gonna see a lot more details about right speech and right action in the book. What I did on Sunday was, was yes, we talked about it in depth, but there's a lot more depth that we can get into related to those, and the book really explores all of that. But as you saw, the teachings can be quite detailed. And in order to learn those, there's a certain challenge of doing the intellectual learning. There's a certain challenge in reflecting on that and seeing it as beneficial and useful. But then there's this whole other challenge of putting it into practice. Uh, the intellectual learning uh, is almost the easier part. Putting it into practice is where the rubber meets the road and it's a lot more challenging. So if your mind is overactive and really busy and you're trying to go, 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 and your mind's always in the future, always in the past, you're going to have a really hard time making wise decisions in the present moment to practice things like right speech. Because those five factors, speaking at the right time, what you say is true, speaking gently, speaking beneficially, speaking with a mind of loving kindness and without blame, it takes a lot of work to ramp up your practice to be able to do that in the present moment. But if your mind's in the future, or it's in the past, or it's having all this erroneous overactivity of thoughts, you're gonna find it really challenging to make wise decisions in the present moment and have purposeful speech during your day and in, in, in the certain conversation that you're having. So by doing breathing mindfulness meditation and slowing the mind down, arising this mindfulness and developing this concentration, this focus, this clarity of mind, and eliminating this craving desire attachment where the mind wants to be in the past, the future, or have all this overactivity of thoughts, ideas, and perceptions, by slowing the mind down and bringing it into the present moment with more concentration and more mindfulness, now you'll be able to practice right speech better because you'll be able to understand those five factors and you'll be able to implement them. If your mind is not in the present moment and it's overactive, you're gonna find it very difficult to practice right speech and right action as well. You're not gonna be aware of your bodily actions. You're not gonna be aware of this arising anger and you feel like punching somebody in the nose, right? You're not gonna be able to cut that off and let that go when you feel that thought arising and you just wanna punch somebody. And now you're gonna end up with police, you're gonna end up with medical bills, you're gonna end up in a fight, you may even end up dead. Someone might end up stabbing you with a knife or shooting you with a gun. So when you gain control over the mind in meditation and you gain this mental discipline, now in daily life, it becomes easier for you to practice these other aspects of the teachings. And you will make wiser decisions about your speech, about your actions, and all the other things that are part of this path because now you have mental discipline. So rather than these thoughts and ideas controlling you and you just spouting off at the mouth or harming through your bodily actions, you're starting to restrain the mind and gain this control of the mind this mental discipline and meditation, you're starting to gain that control so that then in daily life, you can practice things like right speech and right action. And those decisions to practice right speech and right action are going to produce better results for you. And putting that out into the world where you're not harming, where you're only functioning with wholesome moral conduct, now 
by your mind being at ease that you're not causing harm in the world, that's actually going to benefit your meditation. Your mind isn't going to be as busy during meditation because you use meditation to train the mind and gain this mental discipline. That allowed you to practice moral conduct and mental discipline in daily life where you're not harming and there's less and less chaotic and hecticness and havoc in your life. By having less and less of a chaotic and hectic havoc life, now your life is more peaceful and calm in daily life. So now your meditation is going to be more peaceful and more calm. So it's like a cyclical effect. If there's a synergy between meditation and what you're doing in training in the morning and in the evening, and if you do that midday, that's why frequency is so important, is that by you training in meditation, it benefits your daily life and your ability to practice these other aspects of the teachings like moral conduct. And then by you knowing mentally that you haven't been causing any harm and more and more and more your life becomes peaceful, now your meditation becomes peaceful and they start feeding off of each other because now your meditation is more peaceful, your daily life is more peaceful. Now your daily life is more peaceful, your meditation is more peaceful. And it just kind of feeds off itself and there's this synergy and this is the accumulating benefits. And this is why you can't just get enlightened in one day or one week or one month because you have to build this up where you're making this synergy and you're making more and more wiser decisions in your daily life and your mind and your life is becoming more and more peaceful because the way that you're interacting in the world you're teaching people how to interact with you. If you're harsh, if you're aggressive, if you lie, if you speak with hatred, you're teaching people how to interact with you through your intentions, your speech, and your actions. But conversely, if you practice with the Buddhist teaching, which right intention is all about relinquishment, non-ill will, and harmlessness, practicing right speech, not causing harm through your speech or your communication, by practicing right action and not causing harm through your actions, you are teaching people how to interact with you. And more and more, your children, your life partner, your neighbors, your friends, your family, your coworkers start learning how to interact with you. So even though our focus is never to train other people, but is instead to focus on our own training and our own mind, by you doing that, these decisions that you're making and this gamma that comes back to you, the results of your decisions, essentially what it is, is by you practicing wisdom, moral conduct, and mental discipline, you're teaching others how to interact with you. But if you're walking around being hateful, if you're speaking impolite, unkind, unfriendly, and disrespectful, you're teaching people how to interact with you, and that's what's going to come back to you. But when you change your behavior, don't have to teach anybody anything. You're teaching through your actions, through your speech, every moment when you're speaking to people, when you're interacting in the world, you're teaching people how to interact with you. And when you clean up your practice, this is why more and more people around you will start observing and they'll start interacting with you in a different way. So if you start, for example, calling people sir or ma'am, you're going to notice that more and more people are going to do that with you. It was probably a year and a half, two years ago. For one reason or another, I just started 
referring and calling people in the Facebook group. I used to say, thank you, sir, or thank you, ma'am, or so nice to help you, ma'am. I'm glad I could help you. It was so pleased to help you, ma'am. And I noticed, like, look at all these students now. They're all talking to me in the same way that I talk to them. I use sir, ma'am, thank you, politeness, kindness, friendliness, respectfulness. And that's what comes back to you because you're teaching people how to interact with you. So if you go into some of these Facebook groups and social media and you're arguing and you're confronting people and you're challenging people and you're fighting for what you believe in, well, when you're doing that, okay, you're meditating over here on the side trying to create all this peacefulness. But when you go out into the world, you're fighting for what you believe in. You're standing up for what you believe in. You're challenging people. You're arguing with people. What do you think is going to come back to you? All that same exact stuff. But when you're politely, kindly, friendly, respectfully discussing things with people, having conversations with people, that's what's going to come back to you. So there's this synergy that when you meditate, you're preparing the mind and arising certain wholesome qualities that you're going to need in daily life and eliminating certain unwholesome qualities that you don't need. And then in your daily life, you practice in a better way. Your life becomes more peaceful and thus your meditation becomes more peaceful. Thank you very much for that, David. We just had a question come in on Facebook from Sunday Gospel asking, how do I regain focus during meditation? So if you're in meditation and you're noticing that the mind's busy, just wherever you notice that there's thoughts or ideas or anything that's transpiring in the mind, cut that off, let it go and come back to the breath. And if another second or two later, the mind's gone once again, okay, cut it off, let it go and come back. The problem isn't that your mind's wandering. Yes, that is a problem. We need to bring it into the present moment. But if you want it to stay on the breath for the entire meditation, you're going to experience discontentedness. So just know that the mind isn't going to be on the breath the entire time during meditation. But what you're working to achieve is get aware of that sooner and sooner and make it easier and easier to cut it off, let it go and come back to the breath. That's what you're really working towards. So if you notice that the mind is having thoughts, Great. That's wonderful. Cut it off. Let it go. Come back to the breath. Okay. It has another thought over here. Cut it off. Let it go. Bring it back. Okay. It has another thought. Cut it off. Let it go. Bring it back. So you're arising awareness of mind. You're arising this concentration. You're letting go of the craving, desire, attachment. And what you should notice is over time, if you stay consistent two or three times a day, 30 minutes or longer, then you'll start getting five minutes where the mind's completely peaceful and calm during meditation or 10 or longer. But even with that, there's still going to be a certain amount of thoughts that kind of trickle into the mind here and there during your meditation. You haven't done anything wrong. That's what the mind does. Where you're aware of it, cut it off and let it go. Bring it back to the breath. And if you're doing what we're talking about here is during your daily life, you keep your life peaceful and calm and steady, then in your meditation, you'll notice more peacefulness, more calmness, more steadiness in your meditation. So you've got to make sure you're 
maintaining both parts of your practice, both in meditation and outside of meditation. And that's what will bring more calmness and more peacefulness into your practice. And remember, it's an entire path. This practice isn't just meditation. All too often, people really fixate on meditation and they think that they're going to meditate their way to enlightenment. It's not possible. This is why you need to practice things like right speech, right action, and others outside of meditation. This is what's going to ensure that during your meditation, your mind can be more peaceful. If you're out and about in daily life, not practicing moral conduct and mental discipline, then meditation is going to be very challenging for you. So you would like to maintain the peacefulness of the mind, even in daily life, which that will help your meditation be more peaceful. Thank you, David. Those are all the questions we have for today. Okay, so thank you all for joining for today's class. Just to give you guys a heads up about what we're doing in the future, this Sunday is our third part of our three-part series. We're exploring the Eightfold Path, and we're going to be discussing the mental discipline. This is step six, seven, and eight of the Eightfold Path right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. This is where you're really going to understand how meditation works into this overall eightfold path and how it works into your life practice. So that third class of this three-part series is really important to help you round out your understanding of the entire path to enlightenment. Then next Wednesday, we're going to be doing breathing mindfulness meditation again. This is our third class of our four-part series where we're going to be doing a little bit less talking and a little bit more meditation. If you notice, the meditation we did today was quite a bit longer than the ones that we've done in the past. So we're going to be expanding our meditation session longer and longer and shrinking down our talking a bit more. But during those periods of time where we're having discussion, that's the opportunity for you to ask questions. So if you're noticing challenges in your meditation or you have certain things that cross the mind, you're always welcome to reach out through Facebook, through sending a private message or scheduling personal guidance. But these classes are also an opportunity for you to ask questions and get clarification about your practice. By being consistent, that's what's important. So we're gonna be deepening our meditation practice next Wednesday through our third class of this four-part series. So I'll see you either this Sunday or Wednesday in the meantime, have a lovely rest of your day. Have a wonderful time. And remember, keep meditating two to three times a day and treat everyone polite, kind, friendly, and respectful throughout your day. We'll see you next time. Sabadija. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.